Hello, friends. This is Pastor Creighton. Thank you for tuning in to New Song Church's sermon podcast. At New Song Church, we want to see Jesus lifted high in Port Perry, Ontario, as we worship, grow, and serve. You can learn more about us and find contact info at newsongportperry.ca. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, hide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another. Which of them it could be, it could be who was going to do this? A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table, or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. It's not like polite small talk you make at a business luncheon. It's not like chit-chat you make with your neighbor as the plane is landing. Parting words matter. They have weight to them. Likewise, parting gifts matter. In my uh, office right now, I've got a Bible sitting on a stack of probably 12 other Bibles of different translations, but this Bible matters to me because it belonged to my grandfather, the Reverend Carl Friedrich, who himself was a pastor and a preacher. This gift matters 
because of the importance of the giver. Parting gifts matter. So we meet Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. Jesus knows that it's the night of his betrayal, the night of his arrest, the night before his death on the cross. So he leaves his disciples with parting words, parting words that matter. As John records, Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This is our mandate. And it's this word for mandate from which we get the word Maundy, as in Maundy Thursday. See, foot washing is a symbolic act of Jesus serving love. And that's why we'll endeavor to observe a foot washing after the sermon, because Jesus' words, especially Jesus' parting words, matter. But Jesus doesn't just leave his disciples with parting words. He leaves them with a parting gift. And this is what I'd like for us to meditate on. We read in Luke 22 that Jesus took bread and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And much in the same way, Jesus offers his disciples the cup of wine. See, Jesus' parting gift to his disciples is a meal. It's a simple meal consisting of bread and wine, but it's a significant meal. This is the parting gift by which his disciples will remember their Lord. And this meal is not meant to be a one-and-done deal. The grammar here tells us that the disciples are meant to eat this meal on an ongoing basis. Why does Jesus leave his disciples with a meal? The hour of their greatest need, Jesus gives his disciples a renewed feast of deliverance. Deliverance through substitution. This feast of deliverance is Jesus' gift for his disciples in the upper room and for his disciples right here at New Song 2. I think if we're going to understand the significance of Jesus' parting gift, this feast of deliverance, we need to understand something about where it comes from, which we see in our reading in Exodus. We also need to understand something about what's happening in the upper room, which we see in Luke 22. And we ought to consider what to do with this gift as his church. And I think 1 Corinthians 11 speaks to that. Friends, this is Jesus' parting gift to us. This supper, this holy communion, it is for us our feast of deliverance. So where does this feast come from? Well, in Exodus chapter 12, well, for about 400 years into the book of Exodus, God's people Israel have made their home in a foreign land, Egypt. And while they were there, they've been fruitful and they've multiplied But at the beginning of the book of Exodus, a new pharaoh takes the throne. He doesn't see God's flourishing people as a source of blessing like God intends them to be, but rather he sees the people of Israel as a threat to his power. So Pharaoh brutally enslaves Israel and even kills a generation of their firstborn sons to keep them crushed under his iron fist. So Israel cries out for help. And God answers. God raises up his servant Moses to show his signs and wonders 
against Egypt and to lead God's people to freedom. God unleashes plagues of judgment against Egypt, but Pharaoh refuses to relent and let God's people go. So we come to chapter 12, our reading for tonight, where God promises a tenth and final plague to end all plagues. I will pass through the land, the Lord says, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Just as Pharaoh killed a generation of the sons of Israel born in Egypt, so God in his retributive justice will require the life of all Egypt's firstborn. But notice this, that God's judgment is against all firstborn in the land of Egypt. God's judgment against sin and rebellion looms over all who occupy the land, Egyptians and Israelites, oppressor and oppressed alike. Ultimately, all are called to account before God. But this same God who promises judgment is the same God who, in his mercy, provides a means of deliverance through a substitute onto which God's judgment will be symbolically transferred if his people have the humility and faith to take God at his word. So God instructs his people, take a lamb for a household, and verse 6, kill your lambs at twilight. You're going to do two things with this lamb, God says. Verse 7, you're going to take some of the blood and you're going to put it on your doorposts and on the lintel of your house. So the blood on the doors is going to be a sign that a substitution has taken place. A sacrifice covers this household. And the second thing you're going to do is you're going to eat the flesh of this lamb. You're going to eat it roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. See, it's not just the blood painted on the doors. This lamb is going to be eaten you're going to join yourself, as it were, to the substance of your deliverance through consuming it. And when I see the blood, God says, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you. Why is that? Because a substitute's been made. The blood of the lamb for the blood that the judgment requires of, of God's people. This is not a one-time feast, this Passover. In the first two verses, God tells Moses that this is going to be an annual feast, celebrating their deliverance in Egypt by God's means of deliverance through this substitute. Celebrating the Passover year for year, generation for generation, is a remembrance that God is his people's deliverer. And it's a call for God's people to place their faith in the substitution that God's word has made for them as their means of deliverance. So many generations later, we meet Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. What's happening in the upper room? They're not having a late night snack. Verse 15 tells us that they're celebrating the Passover. They're taking up the feast of God's deliverance through substitution. But it's at this Passover meal that Jesus does something unexpected. Jesus remakes the Passover. He refashions it. 
He reorients it. He puts himself at its center as the substitute. He takes the bread of this Passover meal and Jesus says, This is my body, which is given for you. Notice Jesus says, this is my body. Not this signifies my body. Not this is like my body or likened to my body. This is my body. You are to join yourself to the substance of your deliverance when you eat this, the true body, which will be offered on the cross. And likewise, Jesus takes the cup of wine and he says, This cup is that which is poured, or pardon me, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. You will drink God's sealed and guaranteed promise of salvation. Like the blood on the doorposts that covered the Israelites, my blood, which you drink, covers you. And for you is such an important phrase. Because it speaks not just to whom the gift is intended for. These words carry a vicarious, a substitutionary sense. Something has been done for you, which you could not do for yourself. One commentator writes, Jesus' body will be the once-for-all fulfillment of the ceremonies surrounding the Passover lamb as he will become the sacrificial atonement on the basis of which God will pass over the sins of the people. See, friends, this is the greater Passover feast. On the night before the greatest exodus, not just deliverance from bondage to Pharaoh, but the deliverance of God's people from bondage to sin and Satan and death and judgment. This bread and wine is the Passover meal celebrated before the exodus from the kingdom of darkness into the everlasting life of the kingdom of God. And like the Israelites feasting on the Passover lamb, by feasting on Christ by faith, we are joined with our deliverer. Just like we pray in the prayer of humble access, we eat and drink so that our sinful body may be made clean by his body and our souls washed through his most precious blood that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. See, we come to have our souls nourished by the spiritual food that God has chosen to give us to feast upon the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And if this is true, then by the working of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is just as much present to us at this table, right here at New Song, as he was with his disciples in the upper room. Here at this table, Jesus offers to us, by the power of his Holy Spirit, his very self, with the promise of the forgiveness of your sins, through the once-for-all sacrifice on the cross. So eating and drinking at this table matters, because by eating and drinking in faith, we receive Jesus, our Deliverer, who presents himself to us in this meal. This meal should steady us in times of doubt, 
It should speak forgiveness to us louder than our guilty consciences accuse us. It should strengthen our faith when it falters, which it so often does. For the repentant soul who trusts in Jesus, it is the antidote to the fear of condemnation. By Christ's own invitation, we come to be assured of Jesus' forgiveness, his compassion, and his desire for us to partake in everlasting life, which we, he has won for us through the cross. So we ought not to neglect or despise or shrug at this gift of a meal. It's a precious treasure. It's a means of grace. It's given by Jesus himself for you. So this simple meal, Jesus' parting gift of bread and wine, is our feast of deliverance. Deliverance through a substitute, Jesus. Now what do we do with such a gift? Well, the risen Jesus commissions his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples and to proclaim the gospel. And very quickly, these communities of Jesus' followers start springing up all around the Roman world, one of which is in this city called Corinth. And its chief pastor, Paul, writes them a letter to offer them instructions in Christian truth and living. And this letter includes instructions on how they go about practicing the Lord's Supper, which Paul refers to as, as a koinonia, a communion. Not a mere ritual, not an empty symbol, but an actual participation in Jesus. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This meal is like a visible sermon. It's better than anything I could preach. It's better than anything anyone could preach because Jesus himself has given it to us. When we come to this table, we, his people, make a declaration. We preach. We preach that God has died on my behalf. He alone is my deliverer who brings me into the kingdom of God where one day I will feast with him forever. Now this phrase as often raises an age-old question. How often is often? See, even here in our parish at New Song, our practice has changed in the last year. We've gone from having communion together maybe once a month, or pardon me, twice a month or so, to sharing communion every Sunday. We might wonder why. Because some churches celebrate communion perhaps once a month or once a quarter, even once a year. How often is often? Well, I think pastor and Bible teacher Sinclair Ferguson really unlocks the meaning of this word when he says that often means often. <laughs> it means frequently, habitually, customarily, not infrequently, not something that's out of the ordinary. And sometimes when this conversation is had, the point is raised that communion really is something special for the church. And it certainly is. It's a means of grace. It's a sacrament instituted by Christ. And as the argument goes, it should be something special, and we risk losing its specialness if we do it too frequently. 
And I can appreciate that point and the concern it raises. But I guess I always think of what a Baptist professor of mine told me once. This uh, Septuagenarian professor says to a class of young 20-something theology students, he says, I wake up every morning, and the first thing I do is I kiss my wife, and I tell her I love her. And it has never not been special. And that's enough to melt your heart, isn't it? <laughs> but his point is an important one. Some things are too special to do infrequently. In fact, if we're going to take up the practice of the earliest Christians, we read in Acts chapter 2 that they devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread. They were devoted to the Lord's Supper, to Holy Communion. Why? Because they knew this was their feast of deliverance. This is their Passover meal in which Christ, our substitute, offers his very self to us. So what do we do with this parting gift? We partake of it. And we do it often. And we do it to our endless comfort and strengthening and joy. So sisters and brothers, let's make use of Jesus' parting gift. This is our feast of deliverance. Deliverance from sin and death. Through our substitute Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for us and feed on him in our hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We worship a generous God who calls us to follow him in giving willfully, cheerfully, and sacrificially. New Song Church's mission and ministry is 100% funded by the generous gifts of those worshiping and journeying with us. If you'd like to offer a gift towards New Song's ministry, please visit newsongportperry.ca slash giving for more information on how to do that. May God bless you and keep you today and every day.